Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing out there in podcast land? Surviving? I hope so. Here's a new episode. It's time to do some more English learning with a story. In this episode, I'm going to read another short story to you and use it to teach you some English. I recommend that as well as listening to me read the story out loud today to you, that you read this story out loud too. And I will give you a chance to do that by repeating after me. Okay, so read the story out loud. Listen to me doing it, but also uh, it would be good for you to read the story out loud as well. And all the reasons for that are explained in the previous episode. So we'll also look at some vocabulary and grammar from the story during the episode. And if you listen until the end, I will tell you another story too. So two stories, in fact. One in a moment and then another one at the end. So that's, that's all going to come later in the episode, all the grammar and vocab, pronunciation, and then another story. If you're watching the video version, hello. Don't forget to like and subscribe. If you are listening to the audio version, then click the link in the description to visit the page for this episode where you'll be able to read a transcript for the whole thing, okay? Because I'm nice and I'm just giving it to you free and you don't have to put your email address in and, or any of that business. You can just get the transcript. It's on my website. You're welcome. So, 100 word stories. Recently, I've been looking for short stories to help me teach English the shorter the better. And I found lots of 100-word stories on several websites. A 100-word story is a story with no more than 100 words. Okay, maximum 100 words. That's pretty short. That's really just a paragraph. There are a couple of sites where you can find a lot of these 100-word stories. One site is called 100wordstory.org. And the other is FridayFlashFiction.com. Anyone can submit a story to these sites. The stories are then checked by the website editors and then published for everyone to read. The only rule for the writers is that the stories have to have a 100-word limit. I think the minimum is 75 words, but the maximum is 100. So a story with no more than 100 words. That's quite challenging for a writer. That's quite a challenge. The writers need to be very disciplined. They have to choose their words carefully. And as a result, these stories are very minimal and manage to convey descriptions and emotions using only a few words. As a teacher of English, I think these stories are great because it gives us compelling and concise samples of English to work with. So I do recommend that you get the book. There is a, uh, a book which contains loads of 100-word stories from 100wordstory.org. So I just want to point out that there is this book. 
full of these very short stories, which you could buy. It's called Nothing Short of a Hundred, or Nothing Short of One Hundred. It's two ways of saying that number, one zero zero. We can say one hundred, or we say a hundred. Two ways of saying it. So anyway, the book is called Nothing Short of One Hundred. Selected Tales from One Hundred Word Story. So it's a collection of stories from the 100wordstory.org website. There's a Kindle version as well, or a print version. It's published by Outpost 19, and it was put together by the team behind the website, including Grant Faulkner, Lynn Mundell, and Joshua Michael Stewart. Those are some of the, the producers, editors of the book. It's available for you to purchase, and I recommend it if you're looking for bite-sized stories to use for learning or teaching English. So that's nothing short of 100 selected tales from a 100-word story. I also recommend visiting 100wordstory.org and fridayflashfiction.com where you can find absolutely loads of stories like this with new ones arriving each week. So today's story uh, let's start with the st with a story which I've selected from the Nothing Short of 100 book. This story is called Doppelganger. Doppelganger. Uh, by the way, we don't... You, you'll see the title... In the title of this story, uh, there's an umlaut above the A. Okay, so that's one of those... An, an umlaut is a sort of a punctuation mark, I suppose. I'm not sure exactly. We don't have this in English. Um, so an umlaut is two dots above, in this case, above the A in the word doppelganger. Two dots above it. That's in the title of the story. But we don't usually use an umlaut in English, by the way. So that's like two dots above a letter. All right. Now, I think the reason it's got an umlaut in it is because the word is originally German. And so that's what maybe the, the author just wrote it like that, because originally it comes from, a, uh, from German. And I suppose in German, the word doppelganger would have an umlaut. But you don't need to do that in English. So what is a doppelganger? You might be thinking, well, any German speakers will know. And maybe if you speak a language that's kind of similar to German, maybe you've got the similar word as well. But anyway, what is a doppelganger? A doppelganger is someone who looks exactly like someone else, but it's creepy and scary, like a ghostly copy of someone. I think the word, I think the word has its origins in German, hence the umlaut in the title, and translates directly as double goer. So your doppelganger is your double, a copy of you who looks exactly like you and who goes around walking the earth. In my case, that would be Luka Modric, the Croatian footballer, who doesn't just walk the earth. He runs around quite a lot, chasing a football and kicking it. He's a footballer. So my doppelganger would probably be Luka Modric, right? That's what people say anyway, that Luka Modric is my doppelganger. <laughs> but yes, he's my doppelganger, okay? I'm not his doppelganger. He is my doppelganger because I was here first, okay? So um, anyway, we do use the word doppelganger in conversational English. For example, we say things like this. We say, oh, I saw your doppelganger in the street today, meaning I saw someone who looked just like you in the street. Or people say things like this. They say, it's amazing, you know, he's your complete doppelganger meaning he looks exactly like you. Okay, okay. So I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Has it ever happened to you? 
Have you ever seen someone who looks exactly like someone you know? Have you ever done a double take and been confused for a split second? By the way, a double take, that's when you look for a moment and then you quickly look back again. So a kind of a, huh? That's a double take. So you might just be walking down the street, you see someone and you just quickly glance and then you go, wait a minute, was that Luke from Luke's English Podcast? <laughs> and you do a double take. So I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Have you ever, have you ever done a double take and been con and confused for a split second because uh, you've seen someone who looked exactly like someone else? Has anyone told you that they'd seen your doppelganger? Has that ever happened to you? Anyway, now I'm going to read the story. Just one question before I start. One question before I start the story. How did the person feel at the end of the story and why? How did the person feel at the end of the story and why? Okay, so here's the story, doppelganger. Here we go. I almost didn't see the you who wasn't you. I was walking past the outdoor tables of the French cafe and just at the last second, I caught a familiar hand gesture and I looked again. It couldn't have been you though, my love because your other hand was clasping the hand of the woman opposite. Your heads were too close. She was laughing, that abandoned laughing you do when you're totally in the moment, totally in love. I walked on, heels tapping out a staccato rhythm, as I no longer wanted to look at the you who wasn't you. Okay, I'll read that again in a moment and we're going to go into the story properly so you will understand every single thing. Um, but that question, how did the person feel at the end of the story? I'm actually going to add another question here as well because um, when was it? Last year, the year before when I did a story on this podcast and um, in the comments section everyone seemed to be confused about the the gender of the the, 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 the narrator of the story and I was 99% sure that the person that who's narrating the story was a, was female, was a woman. Um, and it might be a similar case here because obviously I'm, uh, I'm a man, right? And so, uh, it might influence the way you interpret the story, but I think that the narrator of the story is a woman, ma'am, you know, it could be a man. It could be, you know, anything's possible. It doesn't really matter. But I think this is probably told by a woman, this story, which might help you make sense of it a little bit more. Not that it matters. It could be a man. Anyway, so I almost didn't see the you who wasn't you. All right, so how did the person feel at the end? Well, the person at the end felt, um, I suppose, shocked or stunned or emotional or hurt or um, surprised or sad or upset. Maybe uh, she was shocked and suddenly felt... <gasps> horrified and heartbroken maybe why well let's go into let's let me summarize the story okay so basically what happens what happened is that okay i'll i'll, I'll summarize it and I'll, I'll look at some language as we go through so i almost didn't see the you who wasn't you so she saw someone who looked like someone else 
Okay, so I almost didn't see the you who wasn't you. So the you in this case, I think it's probably her husband or her boyfriend, although the story is open to interpretation, which is one of the interesting things about it. But I think it's a woman who sees someone she knows at a table outside a restaurant. Okay, and it's probably her lover, like her boyfriend, maybe her husband. Okay. Um, she sees someone, but she's calling him the you that wasn't you. So it's not you, but it's the you that wasn't you. So it's either someone who looks exactly like her husband, let's say, but isn't her husband, or it is someone who looks exactly like her husband, and in fact it is her husband, but she has decided that it's not her husband because she can't bear the idea that it really is her husband. So she, emotion, to protect herself emotionally, she has decided to deny the reality that she's seen her husband with someone else. I almost didn't see the you who wasn't you. That's why she's calling him the you who wasn't you. So I almost didn't see the you who wasn't you. So she saw him but it was, she only just saw him. Okay. I was walking past the outdoor tables at, of the French cafe. So, okay, so she's walking along. She sees someone out of the corner of her eye, someone who looks familiar. She sees a hand gesture that looks familiar. So she does a double take and looks back. And then she notices quickly that he's with another woman and she can see the intimacy of the situation instantly. She sees that this is a very intimate situation. He's holding her hand. He's, he's maybe, he's got a, he's gesturing with his other hand, maybe in the middle of a, a conversation and she's laughing. Um, and she's kind of carefree and having a wonderful time. And uh, it's obvious that they are totally in love. And the woman decides, oh no, it's not, it's, it can't be my husband, it can't be. She said, it couldn't have been you because you were with another woman and she seemed to be completely in love with you. And so then she just walks on, maybe quite quickly, maybe with some stress or emotion. She just sort of like walks away, trying to come to terms with what she's just seen, maybe in a state of emotional denial. So I was walking past the outdoor tables. Classic bit of past continuous there. That's the verb form. I was walking past the outdoor tables. You know, narratives, stories, they've always got past continuous in them. And they often start with past continuous to set the scene. They set the situation. They provide the context. What was happening at the beginning of the story? What was the situation? That's the purpose of past continuous. It describes a a situation which is then interrupted by past simple actions. So I was walking, I was walking down the street. I was walking to, I was walking to work. I was thinking about my work. And then suddenly I saw you, but it wasn't you, was it? And just at the last second, so just in a very brief moment of time, I caught a familiar hand gesture. So at the last second, 
just before she walked past the, the restaurant or just before she'd finished walking past the cafe, she just caught a glimpse. She caught a glimpse of a familiar hand gesture. So a gesture is a, a movement with your body. So it could be like um, something you do with your hand when you're talking. There's lots of different gestures, you know, we, there's gestures to mean well done, okay, uh, can I have the bill, please? You know, all sorts of different hand gestures that we make. But clearly she caught or noticed a familiar hand gesture. So this is a movement that this guy probably often does that she's familiar with. If you're familiar with something, if something is familiar to you, it means you know it already. You've seen it lots of times before and you know it. For example, when you go to a new part of a town, uh, or if you go to a new city that you've never been before, everything is unfamiliar. You don't know where you are. But then when you get back to your hometown, you feel a bit more comfortable because everything's familiar, because you know it, you've been there before, you've seen it before. If you're with new people, you know, everyone's a bit unfamiliar, you have to take time to get to know them. But when you're with people that you know really, really well, like maybe your husband, then obviously everything that person does is going to be very, very familiar. You're going to know it because you've seen it before. So she caught a familiar hand gesture. She noticed him just maybe moving his hand in a way that was very familiar to her. She thought, huh? Hold on. And then I suppose she, she did a double take and looked again. So walking along and she looked again. And then she says, it couldn't have been you though. Meaning it was, it was impossible that it was you. It was, it definitely wasn't you. That's impossible. So a little bit of grammar. It couldn't have been you. It couldn't have been you, meaning it was impossible. So we use this modal verb. Um, it's couldn't. Now I'm going to talk about modal verbs later on in the episode, but it's just worth noticing that this means it was impossible. There's no way it was you. It couldn't have been you. This refers to the past. It's like saying, I am sure it wasn't you. It couldn't have been you. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that bit of grammar. We'll look at modal verbs for talking about the past and modal verbs for talking about the present. There's basically three different ways that we do this. It's either when we are sure about something. In this case, if we're talking about the past, it's like if we're sure, oh, it must have been you. That's when you're sure it was, it was someone. Um, and if you're not sure, we've got three options. It couldn't have been you. No, no, sorry. If, we, if you're not sure, it's, well, it might have been you. It's, it, it could have been you and it may have been you, but I'm not sure. And then if it's impossible, we'd say it can't have been you or it couldn't have been you. Now, that sort of language might seem a little bit illogical. We're going to come on to that in a, in a moment. So she basically, she sees this person, it's very familiar, but she basically denies the fact that she thinks it's impossible that it's her husband let's say. Now it says, it couldn't have been you though, my love. Also, though is, is worth pointing out. What's the purpose of saying though in this sentence? And it's pronounced though. Well, it's like saying but, okay? But, but with but, we put that at the beginning of a sentence, don't we? We'd say, but it couldn't have been you. Right? I saw someone familiar, but it couldn't have been you. So we put but at the beginning like that. But then we put though, 
which is essentially doing the same thing. It sort of expresses the same idea as but. We put though after the um, after the clause. So, but it couldn't have been you, or it couldn't have been you though. It does exactly the same thing. It's very, very common in English. You might have noticed people saying though at the end of a sentence or at the end of a, uh, a clause or something. Okay. Okay. So, oh, oh, I wanted to, I wanted, we wanted to have a picnic. It's raining though. Okay. So, let's move on. It couldn't have been you though, my love. So, she calls him my love, which obviously shows it's someone she's in a relationship with someone she loves, because your other hand was clasping the hand of the woman opposite. So this means that, so he was making some gesture with one hand while he was talking, and his other hand was holding the hand of the woman sitting opposite him. So clasping as well, not just holding, but clasping. So to clasp something means to hold tightly. Okay. We also have... Um, the word clasp. The word the word clasp is also used as a as a little uh, as a tool that can can grip something. For example, if you have a camera and you want to get one of those little tools that will attach your camera to a pole or something like that, um, it's you can be it, it, you can use a clasp, which is like a clip, which you can use to attach something to something else. Um, and I'm demonstrating on the video, I've got like a little uh, clasp or clip which would allow me to attach a light or a camera to um, the wall in front of me, for example. I've got my, my webcam here is attached to a clasp which is attached to the wall uh, so that when I bang the table it doesn't bounce and shake around. I've been doing my best to try and make the videos presentable. So his other hand was clasping the hand of the woman opposite. It was holding her hand tightly. Another sign that there's something intimate going on here. Your heads were too close, meaning too close for it to be her husband. Their heads were very close. Again, another sign that this man and this woman were having sort of an intimate moment. He, he was holding her hand. Their heads were very close. And she was laughing. That abandoned laughing you do when you're totally in the moment. So abandoned, if you abandon something, it means you leave it. You just just leave it behind. You, you, you don't bring it with you. So <coughs> abandoned laughing. Well, what, what has been abandoned here when this woman is laughing without any cares or without care, you know, without any worries in the world, a sort of an abandoned laugh is when you laugh um, completely and you forget about everything in the world and you sort of uh, leave all sort, all of your self-control behind. So she was laughing in an, in an abandoned way. So she was like laughing fully, not even thinking about what she was doing, totally lost in the moment. Again, another sign that something very intimate was going on between these two people. The abandoned laughing you do when you're totally in the moment. Now this you here, the aban that abandoned laughing that you do, this you, she's not referring to her husband here, but this is just the universal you. <clears throat> Which could be, in the, in, in the past, we would have said one. 
for this, that abandoned laughing one does when one is totally in the moment. These days, we just use you for that as well. So in English, we've got like, you could be used for three different things. It could be you plural, meaning when you're talking to a group of people. I'm very glad that you came here today, meaning all the people who came. And I saw you today. That's you, one person. And then, you know, the sort of thing that you do, the, you know, the thing you say when you see someone you know, that is like saying one, which is a universal um sort of uh, all-inclusive um, pronoun. Do I make sense? Am I making sense? I hope so. So <clears throat> that abandoned laughing that one does or that you do when you're totally in the moment, totally in love. So what a shocking moment that she's just walking along and then she totally doesn't expect it, but she sees, wait, is that my husband? Sharing a very intimate moment with this woman I've never seen before? No, it can't be my husband, can it? And she walked on. So I, I walked on, meaning I continued walking. I kept walking. I, I, I just carried on. Heels tapping out a staccato rhythm. So the heels are the, uh, the back part of the shoes that touch the ground. So I guess if this woman, she, I don't know if she's wearing high heels, but she's wearing shoes with heels that make a noise. So um, the sole of the shoe is the, the underside of the shoe and the bit at the back that's often raised, those are the heels. And so she walked on, heels tapping out a staccato rhythm. So a staccato rhythm, this is a kind of steady, um, sharp rhythm. Okay, so in music, I remember from when I learned piano as a child, staccato is when you play the notes like this, ding, 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 with, with uh, gaps between each note, spaces between each note, and it creates a more dramatic effect, or maybe even a sort of uh, slightly more stressful sound. Ding, 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 ding. Instead of going ding, 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 like that, or with no gaps between them. Ding, 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 ding. It's more, in this case, that it, it represents the noise being made by her feet as she walked quickly away with a sort of stress, um, you know, the emotion of seeing her husband and then quickly walking off. Her heels tapping out. Tap is uh, is the it, tap is is um, a word that means to uh, hit something lightly. So in this case, her heels were tapping, tapping out. You tap out a rhythm. To tap out a rhythm. In this case, a staccato rhythm as she as she quickly walked away. The poor woman. And she quickly walked away. And it's the last line is, as I no longer wanted to look at the you who wasn't you. Okay. I think it's a really good little story. There's so much packed into it and different interpretations. Here are some possible interpretations as far as I can see. So she saw her husband or boyfriend cheating on her, having an affair with another woman. And she suddenly realised it was happening and it was all a bit too much for her to accept. And she quickly walked on because what she saw was so upsetting to her 
that she quickly walked on. Now, she could have gone over and got angry with him or something, but she was obviously so hurt that she just carried on. That's one interpretation. Another interpretation is that it wasn't her husband or boyfriend. It was just someone who looked like him. But it still disturbed her because she's terrified that he could cheat on her. So if she, you know, her husband or her boyfriend, who she loves so much, and if she saw someone who looked just like him, and for a moment maybe she believed it was him, and then she decided, no, it can't be, but it still disturbed her because just the idea of him cheating on her or him leaving her is so upsetting. So it still um, upset her to see it, even though it wasn't him. Or <clears throat> maybe it was her ex like her ex-husband or her ex-boyfriend, someone that she's split up with uh, and someone that she's still in love with. Maybe that's who she saw and they're not together anymore and it seems that he's moved on, he's found love with someone else, but she hasn't, she still loves him. And so maybe she moved on because she, she walked on because she realised that there's nothing that she could do because they've already broken up. But he's moved on and found love with someone else, but she's still kind of got feelings. <coughs> uh, or she saw a guy who she loves, but they're just not together and they've never been together. And she sort of loves him from a distance and she just can't bear the fact that he's with someone else. Or perhaps she lost her husband. Maybe her husband died a few years before and she just saw someone who reminded her of him, and which again sort of adds more emotion to the, that moment. Um, okay, so anyway, I'm curious to know what you think of the story. As I said before, I'm going to give you a chance to uh, repeat after me and actually practice saying the lines from the story too. It would, it would be good practice for you. Before we do that, let's do a little bit of language analysis. I'm just going to quickly fly through some sentences. So the first thing is that uh, I saw the you who wasn't you. So I don't know if you noticed or if you were wondering why it's the you who wasn't you and why not the you who weren't you. I mean, that just sounds wrong, right? Um, you wouldn't say that, would you? The you who weren't you? You wouldn't. You would say you weren't, you weren't there. That's correct, right? Because it's you were or you weren't. I am, uh, sorry, uh, I was, he was, she was. You were or you weren't, but it's the you who wasn't you. I don't know if that's a question that came up in your mind, but I'm going to answer it anyway. So although you, the pronoun you, takes normally takes are or were as the form of be, it's not plural. So you is not plural in this case, it's singular. And so the relative pronoun that goes with it, who, the you who, that is singular. And so it's you, the you who wasn't you. Okay, I'm, you know, I'm sure you're delighted that I answered that question and that you were thinking, great story, Luke, very emotional. But why is it the you who wasn't? Yeah. Okay, and it's the you who wasn't you. The, the article there, is important because it would be, I saw you, but then it wasn't you, it was another you. So in this case, there's two yous. There's you and then there's another one. 
And in order to distinguish exactly which one we're talking about, to, dis to distinguish that it's the other one, we have the. And also, we often use the, uh, the definite article, when the noun is defined afterwards by a relative clause, like the you who wasn't you, the man, um, the man who works in the shop, the woman who looks after my daughter, Okay, uh, when you have a defining uh, a, a relative clause that comes after it that defines the noun, it's very common to have a have the at the beginning. You're welcome, everyone. I'm, I know that you were desperate for me to answer that particular question that you had in your mind. Um, let's move on. So just at the last second. So we've got at the last second, which is a nice phrase meaning at the very last moment. And I thought maybe. You, you you might be thinking about other expressions which are similar, like we have on time and in time. So we've got at the last second, at the last second, at the last moment, and also on time and in time. So if you are on time or if you do something on time, it means you do it um, at the correct time, at the agreed time. Okay, so for example, if the meeting was scheduled to start at 2, and yes, I say scheduled, not scheduled, because I'm British. So um, if the meeting was scheduled to start at 2, and the meeting started at 2, you can say that the meeting started on time. It started at the agreed time. Okay. Now, if, if the meeting is scheduled to start at 2, and you arrive at 1.55, then you arrive in time for the meeting. So you arrive before or with enough time before the thing actually starts. Okay? All right. So the train arrived. The train was scheduled to arrive at 3.30. And the train arrived at 3.30. At so the train arrived. Is it on time or in time? The train arrived on time. Okay. And it was okay. We weren't late. Um, we were at the station when the train arrived and we got on. Um, and we didn't miss this train. There was no stress. So we arrived on time or we arrived in time? Well, we arrived in time for the train. And sometimes you arrive just in time. That's where you run down the platform. The train is there. The doors are open. The, the, the noise of the doors is going doo like that. And you manage to get in the train just before the uh, doors close. So you, you arrived just in time in that case. And you got on the train just at the last second at the very last moment. So at the last second means at the last moment. On time means at the agreed or uh, scheduled time. And in time means before or with enough time so that you're not late. Okay, next is the word familiar, a familiar hand gesture. Again, that's just something that you know because you've seen it lots of times. Um, a gesture is a movement that you do with your body, all right? So that, that's um, uh, normally a movement you do with your hands. You can also do a facial gesture. For example, if you frown like that, or hmm, you, you do that like, what? Look, huh? that's a facial gesture as well. But normally gestures are with your hands. Like, nice one. For example, that's a gesture. Can I get the bill, please? Uh, what else? Anyone fancy a pint? Do you fancy a pint? When you, you pretend to lift a pint glass to your mouth, that's, uh, do you fancy a pint? Uh, okay, and when you uh, put your thumb over your shoulder 
like, sh let's leave, let's go, shall we? That means let's go. Um, also, we've got the other rude gestures, like the middle finger, like eh, which is obviously very rude. And in England, in the UK, if you do the, your, your two fingers, your index finger and your middle finger, with the back of your hand facing the person, meaning with two fingers up, if you give the Vs, that's very rude. Did you know that? That means, eh, up yours, mate. Eh. That's just in the UK for some reason. Like, um, they don't care about that in America. If you go to America and go, eh, they go, what, what, two? What, what, are you, what are you saying? Uh, so there you go. So just be careful with that, the Vs. The other way around is fine. When you've got the palm of your hand facing outwards, that means peace. And, you know, uh, when someone takes a photo, you could do that, or peace, like that. That's fine, but if, if you've got the back of your hand facing out, that's rude. So if you go to the pub and you ask for two drinks, say two drinks with your with the palm of your hand facing, not the other way around because you might offend someone. So anyway, watch out for the gestures. Uh, next, to catch something or to catch a look at something is just to quickly get a glimpse of something. Okay, I'll just put that here to get a glimpse of something. Um, though, 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 which is used at the end, okay? All right, like, um, I don't know, like you're looking in the window of a guitar shop. This is, this is what happens to me all the time whenever I walk past the guitar shops, and there are a few in the street not far from where I live. Whenever I walk past the guitar shops, I always stare into the windows and go, oh, that's a lovely guitar. Oh, that's a beautiful guitar. That's fantastic. I'm not going to buy it, though. Okay, or, uh, oh, it's a fantastic guitar, isn't it? It's too expensive, though which is another way of saying it's a lovely guitar, but I'm not going to buy it. Uh, it's a lovely guitar, but it's too expensive. It's a lovely guitar. It's too expensive, though. It's a lovely guitar. I'm not going to buy it, though. So, though, at the end of a sentence, it's like saying but at the beginning. Okay. We also have although, A-L-T-H-O-U-G-H, which is a bit more formal. You might use it in writing, and although can go at the beginning of a sentence. Although, da, 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 da. actually, yeah, that's this is a whole other lesson for another time. Um, discourse markers and uh, contrast words like although, however, despite, in spite of, um, though, and other ones. Let's just keep it simple and say that though is very common in spoken English and often it goes at the end where you would put but uh, at the beginning. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right. Uh, clasping, clasping her hand. Remember that one? Clasp, uh, like you have a clasp that you can use to attach a camera to something. You can also clasp someone's hand, meaning hold uh, their hand tightly. To clasp, uh, to clasp your cup of tea in your hand. Uh, I was uh, clasping my phone in my hand because I didn't want anyone to take it. Uh, abandoned laughing. If you do something in an abandoned way, it means you do it carefree without thinking about yourself at all. You're just lost in the moment. Okay. To be in the moment, to be totally in the moment or to be lost in the moment. To walk and to walk on. To walk on means keep walking, don't stop. Like that song, Walk On By, which is a great song. Heels, heels. Um, so your foot, the, the, the heel is a part of the shoe and it's also a part of your foot. So if your, your foot, at, at one end you've got the toes, You've got the sole of the foot underneath, uh, and then at the back of the foot is the heel, and above the heel is the ankle, and then the leg, right? Also on shoes, same thing. Um, the part of the shoe that goes under your heel is also called the heel of the shoe. And often when, if women uh, wear high heels, usually it's women, wear high heels, then it makes a sound when they walk along the ground. It makes a tapping sound. Tapping and a staccato rhythm. If you walk in a bit of a hurry, it might make a, stuc a staccato rhythm on the floor, that kind of um, repetitive um, uh, rhythm sound with, no, with, with, with quick, sudden um, sounds. Tap, 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 rather than tap, 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 tap. That's a staccato rhythm. Okay. Also, there's that grammar. It couldn't have been you, my love. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, it couldn't have been you. So couldn't is a modal verb here. And so this is classified in the grammar books as using modal, ver modal verbs of deduction. Right? Deduction. This is when you look at something and you try to guess what it is. Okay? Like, for example, if you're Sherlock Holmes and you're looking at the evidence and you try to guess what happens, you try to work out or speculate about what has happened. <clears throat> so let's just do a very quick look at modal verbs of deduction. Not too long, because I don't want you to fall asleep or pass out or turn into a skeleton while you're listening to this, just freeze. Um, we'll, we'll cover this briefly. Okay, so modal verbs of deduction. So the thing about modal verbs, right? The thing about modal verbs, could, would, might, may, should, um, must, and so on. The thing about modal verbs is that when students of English approach the learning of modal verbs, what they want to do what, and I understand why you would do this, but I don't think it's the right way to do it. But what people want to do is they want to get each modal verb and they want to understand 
what that individual modal verb means and how it's used every time. But this isn't actually the best way to approach the learning of modal verbs. What you should do is consider the ways, the different functions that modal verbs have. And there are lots of different functions that they're used for, like deduction or speculation, for expressing permission, for expressing ability, for expressing uh, uh, probability about the future. Okay, so for those different categories of use, you'll find that the modal verbs are used slightly differently. So it's best to approach it like that. Look for the different categories of use, like, you know, function, like ability, uh, possibility, uh, deduction, uh, advice, and so on. And then under those categories, you have to learn the way that modal verbs are used in those specific cases. I'd suggest doing it like that because you'll find that modal verbs are used differently in different situations. So you should learn the situations and the language used to express those, those different things in those situations rather than the specific meanings of the modal verbs. Okay, so if we're talking about modal verbs of deduction, um, we've got past and present. So the, the situation that we need is maybe you've just seen someone and you're wondering, who's that? Or maybe that's in the present. Who is that? And it's in the past, it's who was that? Okay, now that makes a difference. The present is a little easier. Uh, the grammar is just a bit easier. It gets a bit more difficult in the past. So, who is that? Like, you're not sure who it is. Wait a minute, who is that? So you're trying to see someone in the distance. Maybe you're not wearing your glasses. Like, who is that? Now, you've got three things that you are expressing here, basically. Either you are sure, or you're expressing that it's possible, or you're expressing that it's impossible. For example, I'm sure it's you, or I'm sure it's Dave. Hey, that's Dave, isn't it? Is it? I'm not sure. Oh, I'm sure it's Dave. Okay, just a bit of editing there to change the example sentence. So we're talking about Dave. Who's Dave? I don't know. It's just one of your friends. Is that Dave? So. I'm sure it's Dave. I'm certain it's Dave. It's definitely Dave. So that would be, it must be Dave. It must be Dave. It can't be anyone else. Look, it looks like Dave. He's wearing Dave's clothes. He's got Dave's face. He's carrying, he's carrying a big sign with letters across the sign that say, I'm Dave. He's got a badge on his shirt that says Dave. He's holding his passport out. And you can see on the passport... It says Dave in big letters. It, it must be Dave. Right, that's if you're sure. So must is the modal verb. Must be, it must be Dave. Um, now, if the second category is it's possible, but you're not sure. Okay. It's possible, um, not sure. Okay. So there you would say, well, it could be Dave. It might be Dave, or it may be Dave. Now, those three could, might, may, same, okay? Same meaning, same level of possibility. It's just the same each time. You might be thinking, but may is a bit more possible than might and... No, same, okay? There you go. Trust me, all right? I'm an English teacher. I know what I'm talking about. It's basically the same level of possibility. All right, it could be Dave. It might be Dave. All right, maybe Dave. Same thing each time. I personally tend to use could and might more. 
All right. Now, you also might be thinking, but it may be, Dave, it's like permission. May I come in? You may come in. Yeah, that is true. May, we do use may and can and other things and could and stuff for permission and for politeness and stuff like that. Yeah, but that's something else, different category. Don't think about that. We're just talking about deduction. So in this case, could, might, may, same. Okay, it could be Dave. Not sure. It might be Dave. Could, don't know. Maybe Dave. We don't know. Okay, and then the third category is it's impossible that it's Dave. There's no way it's Dave because Dave is dead. Maybe Dave is dead. And he's like, wait, is that Dave? You said, your friend says, is that Dave? And you're thinking, like, no way, there's, Dave's dead. Dave, Dave died in, the, in uh, uh, I don't know, what, how, how, what happened to Dave? Um, uh, a piano landed on Dave uh, nine years ago. Don't you remember the great piano tragedy of nine years ago when Dave was tragically killed by a piano that landed on his head outside that big building, the big department store? The piano, the great piano tragedy of nine years ago. Remember? He's like, yeah, I remember. How could I forget? <sighs> anyway, that's another story for another time. So is that Dave? It, oh, then you'd say it can't be Dave. Or it couldn't be Dave. Now you might be thinking, but wait a minute, couldn't is the past, isn't it? Well, yeah, kind of, yeah. But here, remember what I said, just for the function of deduction or speculation, can't and couldn't are used in the same way. They mean the same thing. I know it's crazy, isn't it? It is crazy. There it is. Get used to it. It's language. Languages are normally quite crazy. They don't normally um, work in a logical way. They work in an illog. They don't work in a logical way. They work in an illogical way. Okay, say that they don't work in a logical way. They don't work in a logical way. They work in an illogical way. Right, so it can't be Dave. It couldn't be Dave. Same thing. It couldn't be Dave does not refer to the past. Here, it refers to the present. Right, but what about if you, are, you, you saw Dave during the day and then you're sitting at home, you're drinking your tea with your, with your flatmate and you're still talking about what you saw. Was that a ghost? Did we see a ghost of Dave? you're still thinking about it, but now you're talking about the past. Who was that, you might say? So now we're talking about the past. All right, same thing. We're expressing the same different uh, ideas of I'm certain and it's possible, but we're not sure. And, um, and it's impossible. Okay, but now we're referring to the past. So I'm sure it was Dave, would be, it must have been Dave. Didn't you see the t-shirt that he was wearing that said, it's def I am definitely Dave? It must have been Dave. It can't have been anyone else. It must have been Dave. So if you're certain it was Dave, it must have been Dave, right? Uh, what about, it's possible that it was Dave, but we're not sure. Uh, we don't know. Then, well, it could have been Dave. It might have been Dave. It may have been Dave. We don't know. Okay. 
So could, might, may, same thing. But notice that it's have been, right? Because we are talking about the past. Have and the past participle. This is how we use these modal verbs to talk about the past. Instead of conjugating the modal verb itself, we add these auxiliary verbs, or we add the auxiliary verb have and a past participle of the main verb we're using. So it must have been Dave, not it musted be Dave. No, it must have been Dave. It could have been Dave, not it couldn't. It, it could have been Dave, yeah. Not it, it, well, there's no other way of doing it, is there? You can't say it could it, could it, could it did have been Dave. That's impossible. Could have been Dave, might have been Dave, it may have been Dave. Mm -hmm. And if we want to express that it's impossible it was Dave, then again we're using can't and couldn't, but we conjugate them with have and a past participle. It can't have been Dave. And it couldn't have been Dave. Unless he's back from the dead. Dun dun dun. Okay, there you go. Now you could go away and practice that. You could just Google it. You know, you could just Google modal verbs, past deduction, practice, and see if you've got it. Okay. Um, otherwise, well, I'll just I'll give you a chance to do it now. So, uh, huh. all right. So Dave died in a piano in the big piano accident, but who dropped the piano? Hmm? Who dropped the piano? Now, here's a bit of backstory for you. So, who dropped the piano? So, Simon, who, who um, was... Um, Simon hated Dave because Dave uh, ate the last biscuit, which is obviously a terrible thing to do. So, there's biscuits, right, in a pack of biscuits, and Dave ate the last biscuit, which is a crime. And Simon was so angry that... We all know Simon was incredibly angry with Dave. And the last thing we heard from Simon is Simon said, I'm so angry, I'm going to go up on the roof. I'm going up on the roof, which is, by the way, where the piano... I don't know why, but the piano was on the roof. I don't know. Little, a big piano with wheels on just happened to be on the roof. Maybe they were moving it. Simon was like, I'm so angry with Dave... Don't talk to me. I'm going on the roof. And we all said, okay, well, we're all going to go out now with Dave. And then next thing, a piano landed on Dave, killing him instantly. It's not funny at all. I don't know why you're laughing. It's just not funny. But anyway, what happened? So who killed Dave? Who dropped the piano? So now I'm, you could say this. I'm certain it was Simon. How, how do you know? Because I saw... Uh, because he said he was going to do it. He said to Sandra, he said, you know what? I'm so angry with Dave. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. She, he said. Sandra says that she heard Simon saying that he was going to kill Dave. So I'm sure it's Dave. It, I'm sure it's Simon. I'm sure it's Simon. How, would you, how do you say that? I'm sure it is Simon. Well, we'd say it must be Simon. Okay. What about if you, you, you want to say this? Well, it maybe it's Simon, but we're not sure. Well, you, you can say one of three things. Well, it could be Simon. It might be Simon. It, it may be Simon, but we don't know. Um, I think that um, putting Simon in prison for the rest of his life 
is a bit of a risk because it, it might not be Simon. It may not be Simon. But we're not could not be Simon. No, because that means it's impossible that it's Simon. Huh, interesting. So the negative versions are it may not be and it might not be. So it could be Simon. It might be Simon. It may be Simon. Right. But the negatives are only it might not be and it may not be. We don't know. But if you say it, it couldn't be Simon, that means it's impossible. OK, so maybe Sandra or maybe Janice. Not Janice, maybe uh, Terry. Terry said, no, I saw Simon. He was downstairs um, eating a chocolate uh, cake. At exactly three o'clock when the accident happened. So sorry, it's impossible that it's Simon. So you'd say, oh, it can't be Simon. It couldn't be Simon. And if we're talking about the past, same thing, um, like um, same thing. It's like, I'm certain it was Simon. You'd say it what? It, mm, it must have been Simon. If we're not sure, then it could have been Simon, might have been Simon, may have been Simon. Okay. It may not have been Simon, might not have been Simon. We don't know. And if you are certain that it's not, so it's impossible that it was Simon, then it can't have been Simon and it couldn't have been Simon. There you go. You're welcome, folks, for that little grammar lesson. Let's move on. Just some pronunciation. We're nearly finished here. We've been going for about an hour. Here's some pronunciation. It's really important that you read the story out loud as well. It would be, it would be a very good idea. It would be wise. So I'd like you to repeat the story after me, line by line. Try to say each line with no pauses between words and notice which word has the main emphasis or stress in each line and just don't sound like a robot, okay? So I don't want you to do this. I almost didn't see the you who wasn't you. No, it should be I almost didn't see the you who wasn't you. Okay, so just repeat the story after me. Here we go. Doppelganger. So I'm going to leave a pause after I say the line and, I, and that's where you repeat it. I'll say it twice, then you repeat it and then I'll move on. Okay, doppelganger. Doppelganger. I almost didn't see the you who wasn't you. Wait a minute. I almost didn't see the you who wasn't you. Okay, your turn. Go. I almost... Next. I was walking past the outdoor tables of the French cafe. I was walking past the outdoor tables of the French cafe. And just at the last second, and just at the last second, I caught a familiar hand gesture. I caught a familiar hand gesture. You? And looked again. And looked again. It couldn't have been you, though, my love. It couldn't have been you, though, my love. It couldn't have been. It couldn't have been you. Because your other hand was clasping the hand of the woman opposite. 
because your other hand was clasping the hand of the woman opposite. Your heads were too close. Your heads were too close. She was laughing. She was laughing. That abandoned laughing you do when you're totally in the moment. That abandoned laughing you do when you're totally in the moment. Totally in love. I walked on. I walked on. Walked on. Heels tapping out a staccato rhythm. Heels tapping out a staccato rhythm. As I no longer wanted to look at the you who wasn't you. As I no longer wanted to look at the you who wasn't you. Okay, so what I've been doing there with the vocab and the pronunciation and stuff and the grammar, that's the sort of thing that I normally do in LEP Premium, in my premium episodes. But every now and then I'll kind of do a little bit on the normal free podcast as well to kind of give you a little taste. But if you want more of this kind of thing, then you can sign up to Luke's English Podcast Premium, where I do language analysis, vocab and grammar explanations and pronunciation practice every time. Um, and so if you go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium, you get two options. You've got LEP Premium, which is where you get all of the premium content, or you can choose LEP episodes with no advertising. That's where you can just listen to the normal free podcast in your podcast app, but with no advertising at all. So there will be no advertising interruptions. With the premium one, you get all of the premium episodes and the free episodes will have no advertising as well. So that's kind of LEP Premium is the recommended one because you get all the premium content and no advertising. Okay, so that's the one I recommend. And in the premium section, there are stories and language reviews for conversations which, are, which have appeared in episodes of Luke's English Podcast. That's where I go through conversations I've had in episodes and I break down all the language and explain it and help you practice it and pronounce it and stuff. Um, and also there are, there are stories as well, like the one I've done today. If you sign up to LEP Premium, you can add all the premium episodes to your podcast app of choice on your phone and also get links for video versions and PDF worksheets, uh, teacherluke.co.uk slash premium, and you'll find the link in the description. So how about another, how about another story? So we've been going for just over an hour, but we're not finished yet. There's maybe a few more minutes left in the episode. So um, I'm going to read you another story. This one is also about a doppelganger. So I'll just read the story to you now, and then I'm going to do some language work in a premium episode, which is coming soon to the premium subscription. Okay, so I'll just read the story to you, and then I'll do all of the language teaching and stuff in a premium series. And if you want to get it, you can get it by signing up to LEP Premium. And yes, okay, I am trying to persuade you to sign up to my premium subscription, but I do think it's worth it because you get so much content. And if you do, you'll be supporting the podcast too. 
which is very helpful. No pressure though, of course. If you don't want to sign up or you can't, that's fine. No worries. So I'm going to read the story to you in this free episode now, this this second story. I'm going to read it to you and then I'll do the language work in a premium series. Okay, I hope you enjoy it. Let's get started. So this one is called Doppelganger as well. And it's written by Sue Clayton. And you can find it on FridayFlashFiction.com. I've adapted the story very slightly. Okay, I've just made a few little changes. But I'll just read the story to you now. See if you can understand it. Okay, so what happens? Why does it happen? And what, what happens at the end? What is the twist at the end? I'll give you a little summary at the end, but the proper language work will be done uh, in the premium podcast. Okay, so here we go. This book says everyone has a doppelganger, a mirror image. And if you meet yours face to face, you'll die. Janice, my flatmate, closed the book, finished her tea and toast, and slammed out of the door for her A&E shift at St. Margaret's Hospital just down the road. She loved any kind of fantasy literature, always immersed in some supernatural genre book. Not my cup of tea at all. Give me a good Nordic noir mystery anytime. After taking a shower, I went to brush my teeth. If you meet your doppelganger face to face, you'll die. My reflection in the bathroom mirror laughed as I recited the words, If you meet your doppelganger face to face, you'll die. (laughs) My reflection laughed as I recited the words, but they'd begun to worm their subliminal way into my subconscious, waiting to claw their way to the surface and pounce. One day, a couple of weeks later, I headed for the front door, ready to set off into town where I worked at a music store. Doppelganger. I froze as my mind hissed the insidious word doppelganger. What if I saw me on the train or stood behind me in the line at the coffee place? What if I came into the shop to buy a record and had to serve myself? The words shot through my mind. I let go of the door handle as if I'd been electrocuted and phoned in sick. Do you fancy a night out at that new wine bar down the street? Janice bounced through the front door one afternoon, chirpy as a bluebird her shift trauma-free for once. Mm, Not tonight, Janice. I'm, I'm still not feeling very good. The image of my other self perched on a stool at the far end of the bar, possibly raising a toast, was too hard to stomach. You haven't been outside for ages, Natalie. Not even for work. You'll end up getting fired. What's going on with you? Janice pressed. I'll meet my doppelganger and die if I go outside. (laughs) I burst into tears, knowing how ridiculous I sounded. (sighs) You know there's no such thing. You need to get help, Natalie. I've got a therapist friend who works at the hospital. I'll fix you up an appointment. 
she wrapped me in a comfort hug. You're booked in for 10 o'clock this morning. Two days later, Janice grabbed my arm and pulled me through the front door. I didn't stand a chance. You won't meet yourself between here and St. Margaret's. She smiled reassuringly and we set off down the street. Excuse me, a hand tapped my shoulder as we waited to cross the busy main road. I turned around and my shriek froze the blood of everyone close by before I stepped backwards off the footpath into the path of an articulated lorry. I didn't mean to frighten her. <gasps> Tears ran down the anguished face of one of the two men who'd been standing behind me. He was holding a large six feet square mirror, which they were carrying across to the framing workshop across the road. I just wanted to ask her to step to one side. Okay. That's the end of the story. Let me give you a summary. <laughs> so I'm not going to go into all the language and break it down. That's for the premium episode, but I will explain the story. So the the narrator of the story, and by the way, yeah, what happens at the end? Well, she died at the end, okay? The, the narrator of the story, let's call her Sue, okay? I've just realised that her name in the story is Natalie, but uh, I forgot that, so I'm calling her Sue. So Sue died at the end of that story. And I, I, I do like a story in which the storyteller dies at the end, because obviously it's ridiculous, because it doesn't make sense. You know, I was walking down the street and suddenly a piano landed on my head and then I died. Like, it's impossible. You can't, if you died, you can't tell the story. But, you know, that's the twist, isn't it? You don't expect it to, 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 to end like that. Maybe Sue is telling this story in the afterlife, or maybe she's a ghost now or something. I don't know. Sometimes with literature, you can break all the rules. It doesn't really matter. But uh, still, it's quite funny when the, when the narrator actually dies at the end of the story that they're telling. So the narrator, let's call her Sue. She lives with her flatmate, Janice. Janice works in a hospital in the uh, accident and emergency department of the hospital. So uh, one day, Janice um, is reading a book and she reads a line from this book. It's a scary book that she's reading. So she reads a line from a scary book that she's reading. And the line in the book says that if you ever meet your doppelganger, you'll die. It's kind of scary thing that you get in a scary book. Now, Sue doesn't usually believe that kind of thing, right? She doesn't like those sorts of stories. She prefers those sorts of Nordic crime uh stories instead, the more hard-boiled detective stories, not horror stuff. So Janice likes horror, Sue doesn't. So Sue doesn't usually believe that kind of thing. She's not superstitious. She's not prone to getting scared by scary stories. But the idea gets into her head. And as she is leaving the house one day, a week later, she suddenly gets scared that she might meet her doppelganger and die. Because she says the, like, after Janice has said this to her, and Sue's kind of brushed it off, oh, it's nonsense. 
when she when she's brushing her teeth in the in the bathroom, she looks herself in the mirror and she says the lines, "If you see your doppelganger, you'll die." She says while she's looking in the mirror. And then a, about a week later, as she's leaving the house, her hand is on the door handle to go out. And the line comes in her head again. If you see your doppelganger, you'll die. And she quickly takes her hand off the door handle. And she she decides to stay at home. In fact, she keeps staying at home every day. The idea of meeting her doppelganger has made her too terrified to leave the house. And Janice gets worried about Sue and arranges for her to meet a therapist at the hospital. And she assures Sue that nothing can happen to her on the way. Don't worry, nothing's going to happen to you between here and the hospital. She assures her. So Sue agrees to leave the house. In fact, Janice kind of doesn't give her any choice. But at the... Uh, at but while crossing the road, uh, at, let's say at the main road, at the main road, which is like a busy road, um, someone taps her on the shoulder and Sue turns around and sees her own reflection and she shrieks, she screams in fright, in terror. And everyone gets stunned because it's so shocking. Because Sue has turned around and seen her own reflection. She sees her own doppelganger. Although it's a reflection of herself in a mirror. Because the man who tapped her on the shoulder was trying to carry a mirror across the road. And he wanted to ask her to step to one side to make some space. But Sue turned around and saw her doppelganger, her reflection in the mirror. And she screamed. And because she was so surprised, she stepped back into the road and was hit by a large lorry. A lorry is a big truck, sort of big truck that carries lots of, a big truck with a big storage container on the back, big heavy lorry, you know, one of those ones. Um, so she stepped back, shocked into the street and was hit by a lorry and no doubt killed. So there you go. <laughs> a creepy little story with a twist at the end. I thought you might enjoy it. But that's it. That's the end of the episode. Check out LEP Premium, though, because I'm going to do a little premium series using that story. Um, we'll look at the grammar. We'll look at the vocab. Uh, I will give you um, memory a memory test with it. We'll do some pronunciation practice, as usual, um, and all that stuff. Okay. But thanks for watching this episode. Thank you for listening. I hope that's been enjoyable for you. Let me know what you think. Leave your comments in the comments section. Sign up to Luke's English Podcast in a podcast app of your choice on your phone. Just go into your phone, whatever podcast app you use. It could be Pocket Casts. It could be Apple Podcasts. It could be Google Podcasts or Podcast Addict or something. Uh, search for Luke's English Podcast. You can get the episode archive. Listen to all my episodes on your headphones and stuff like that. And you can get the premium episodes in your podcast app of choice as well. Um, and that's it. Okay. Have a lovely morning, afternoon, evening or night. And I will speak to you again soon. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.